When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, this is Mark Germani from Alter Bridge, and you're listening to Jay Scott oh. of Rocks. It's Jay Scott. It's the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks for tuning in. As you always do, I always appreciate it. Uh, as I always mentioned, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, great network of music-related podcasts. You can check out a few of my friends, as I mentioned, like Tom and Zeus on the Shout Out Loudcast, Vinny Apice and Carmen Apice on Hanging and Banging, and the uh, legendary DJ out in Boston, Mistress Carrie. So check out all those and more as uh, you can find Pantheon Podcast at PantheonPodcast.com and on all social media, Pantheon Pods on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can do the same with The Hook Rocks and all three of those platforms by searching up The Hook Rocks. You can also follow us, follow us on all podcast platforms. We're available on Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. So check us out there. Set your app to automatic download so you get the great greatest and latest or latest and greatest episode uh we just uh, celebrated our three-year anniversary with Stephen piercy we uh, also just had some recent guests like tuck smith tyler bryant we had sam bam colton from dorothy faster pussycat and butterside on as well as talking about building your own home recording studio in the year 2022 so all that uh that goes into that it's the most economical way for an independent artist, a new artist to record music. So if you're looking to do something like that and stop paying all the fees and charges to rent out a studio on an hourly basis and have a deadline, this may be the way to go. Just saying. 
We have a great episode, as I always say, lined up for you today. We have Blues guitarist who's got a new album out and uh, looking forward to talking with him and getting to know him a little bit. And that is Anthony Gomes. What's up, man? How are you? Good to see you, Jay. I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on here. So we always begin. Sometimes I sound like a broken record, but it's the same question we always ask a first time guest. And that's really what we're all about here at the Hook Rocks. Just like every great rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, band, or performance, that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, man. There's so many moments. But I do remember being in my buddy's car, and he played the Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. And it blew my mind. I was like, what is this Uh, amazingness coming through the speakers? And, uh, yeah, I was... I was pretty hooked, you know, um, by that moment. And next thing you know, I'm in a band and scaring my parents and uh, all that good stuff. So, yeah. As far as guitar playing, I mean, obviously, it's a big moment. I mean, Immigrant Song is such an iconic song. But for you, going into guitar, when did you want to? When did you want to pick up guitar? What was that first sign that you were attracted to that instrument? You know, so there was the immigrant song, you know, uh, I started at, at 14 playing guitar and Eddie Van Halen was a big force day in 1984 had been out and, um, and he was, you know, his image was so iconic with, you know, I can still remember his faces on magazines and that iconic striped guitar. And here's the guy smiling, playing the guitar. Um, so all, all these things, you know, and I had some buddies that had learned how to play. But I thought it was too late for me at 14. I mean, I my my friends could play Stairway to Heaven on the guitar, you know. And I thought, geez, man, it's too late for me but, uh, to do anything. But I just love this so much. And then I started playing. And next thing you know, there was a band night at high school. And we played Smoke uh, on the Water, Communication Breakdown, and Heartbreaker. And uh, I went to a Catholic school. And... Uh, our principal was a nun, Sister Celestine, and she said, well, I looked at the lyrics on Communication Breakdown, and you can't say the word suck. That's inappropriate. So um, we we made a compromise, and, and we said, well, can we sing Squeeze My Lemon? And that made it through the censor board. Um, and I knew then that the power of rock and roll was coursing through my veins when, yeah, it was just something about that moment. I, I, I'm laughing because I went to Catholic school. Okay. And, um, you know, I had penguins as well. Right. And uh, I still remember almost getting expelled because I had the cassette for Crocus, the Blitz. Right. And on the cover, there's this woman kind of doing a pirouette. And her skirt creeps up just a little that you could see the crease of her butt. Right. And one of my teachers in fourth grade saw that in my desk. And you would think I was the Antichrist. Oh, yeah. It was it was horrible. But, yeah, I mean, I remember wearing a Motley Crue T-shirt underneath my school uniform. It was powder blue shirts and navy blue pants. And you could see the Motley Crue logo with the skull with the handcuffs going through the eyes. And I remember like 
my principal sister Fabia basically more or less beating the crap out of me to get me to take that shirt off. Yeah. But when you talk about the sensory, you know, sensor board or the censorship board at the Catholic school and all that stuff, I am very familiar with all of that. Well, you know, and we thought it was a victory. I mean, we thought squeeze my lemon was far more profane than suck. I mean, you know, but uh, yeah. So uh, thank you, Sister Celestine, for, for bringing that out. Of us. Thank you. So was Jimmy Page like your first introduction to guitar? Um, I, well, you know, in high school, my two favorite bands were Zeppelin and Aerosmith. You know, those were um, and, and maybe my favorite guitar player was and maybe remains Jimi Hendrix, you know. Uh, it was sort of like classic rock was alive and well at that time. And um, I, I was geared, I was loving anything that had a blues base to it. Um, and I really loved the blues without knowing it. And then I remember my buddy said, there's a guy that plays Hendrix and it sounds like Hendrix. And I was like, really? Who is it? And they said, it's a dude named Stevie Ray Vaughan. And I remember that moment of, of hearing Couldn't Stand the Weather, the album, and hearing Scuttlebutton for the first time. And, you know, my explosion, mind blown, you know. Uh, and that began a journey into the blues with, you know, I, I bought some B.B. King and Buddy Guy. And um, I was equally fascinated with both roads. You know, I, I, I loved Crocus and I loved, you know, Ozzy and Zach Wilde. And I loved John Lee Hooker and all those you know, Otis Rush, you know, and, and um, even soul music like, you know, Otis Redding, you know, so Wilson Pickett. So I was, all of these things were really resonating. And, um, and, and you know, we sort of put them all in a, in a big tool, in a, in a big stew. And I guess that's what we're doing today. It's interesting. Now, growing up outside of Chicago, blues, you know, you start hearing it in the womb. Yeah, because it's so prevalent or used to be very prevalent. I remember Maxwell Street, you know, if you ever I'm sure you've seen the Blues Brothers. Yes. And that scene where John Lee Hooker, that's Maxwell Street, basically, you know, and and going down there as a young kid and hearing those blues artists. You mentioned Otis Rush, which is another one that grew up listening to. Magic Sam is another one as well. Um, I mean, the blues is such a. A powerful for you know a powerful genre of music that unfortunately continues to get overshadowed and continues to get forgotten because i think people nowadays discard it or, or don't pay attention to because they believe in it's too simple right. but that's the beauty of it right because it's all based on emotion it's all based on more or less the beginnings of, of blues are, are really entrenched in poverty and in and in pain and in, you know, social discourse. So, and, and everyone's got their take. I mean, one song can be played by seven or eight different bluesmen, but they're all different. They're all different approaches, which is why it's so wonderful in my opinion. Yes. And I mean, early rock and roll is really blues with a little bit less of a swing on the beat. You know, I mean, you know, Ike Turner's Rocket 88, you know, Lucille, you know, um, Little Richard. I mean, there's such a fine line in the origins of rock and roll to what is rock and roll and what is blues. And I just think rock and roll had a better publicist, you know. Um, and, and, you know, 
and even blues today, you know, people ask me, how can we get, you know, younger people into the blues? And I said, the way you're marketing blues is the worst. Like you take, you know, an upcoming musician and you say, okay, Sally or Johnny, you got to listen to the blues because without it, there'd be no rock. And it's sort of like, you know, hey, you know, eat your vegetables. Here's a dusty old book from the top of the shelf. You should tell them, look, the blues is the devil's music. And if you listen to this, you're going to hell and your soul is going to be corrupted. Man, it would hit number one on the charts. Everybody would <laughs> be excited about the blues. So it, it's uh, it needs to be a living, breathing thing. And yeah, man. So it, it's it's just very interesting. But I think blues gets overlooked, too, because it gets lumped in with jazz, which is the exact opposite of blues in some ways. Jazz is a very sophisticated, harmonic music. Um but, you know, it's jazz and blues stuff they put, you know, at the third, you know, at the back of the record store, you know. Um, but really, blues is as much a part of rock and roll. You know, the Rolling Stones is a blues band, if you ask Keith Richards. If you ask Billy Gibbons, ZZ Top is a blues band. If you ask Robert Plant, many ways Led Zeppelin is a blues band. So um, th- there is that in the DNA for sure. Correct. I, I also believe that blues must be seen live yeah because i think it's much more powerful in a live setting than on a record or an album i have a 17 year old that plays guitar and i've told him that at some point either this year or next year i'm going to take him to see buddy guy right and he's like why and i said you like zeppelin you like all these bands this is the guy that is part of that connection from that old Delta blues into these rock and roll blues bands. I mean, Jimmy Page regards Buddy Guy as the best guitar player of all time. So to see him, he's the last remaining OG. You know, he he is really, I mean, all those guys are all gone now, which is really sad in, in, in itself. But yeah, I can't wait to have him experience that. I mean, my opinion, no one bends a string like Buddy Guy. I mean, nobody's in yeah, it's just tremendous, you know. And, and you and then one one of the many things I love about Buddy's guitar playing is, and I mean this as a compliment, is his dissonance. And um, music to me, good music is about tension and release. Led Zeppelin was always about tension and release, as far as Led Zeppelin, light and heavy music contrasting. I feel like with um, blues, is you know the the one chord is the tense chord. Then the four chord is the release. The one is the tension. It's like breathing. It's such a human thing. Um, and Buddy does this great thing. Like uh, he did it in, in that Stevie Ray Vaughan live tribute show where let's say he'll be on, on um, you know, the seven, you know, uh, the dominant seven note. And it's just like he's somewhere, but, you know, almost at the major seven note in it and it's just rubbing in the wrong way and it's so tense and then boom it goes to the you know the root and this whole oh it's so powerful man it's like that thing could knock a mountain down in one note this guy can just destroy any sweet picking you know (laughs) it's like and i love sweet picking i don't i don't mean to diminish that but it's just such a powerful thing and i think Guys like Paige got that from Buddy Guy, got this idea of tension and release. And, 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 and you know, B.B. King told me, he said, if, if you're 
if you're always loud, you're yelling at people and you'll scare them away. <laughs> so it, it's sort of this idea of, of, of you know, tension and release, man, you know, and, and dynamics. And um, uh, that, that's what the true masters have, have, have shared with us. So thankfully. That's an interesting comment by B.B. King. I never I never thought of it that way. When, yeah. you, when you think of music and you think of, you know, obviously rock and roll, you want to be loud, but there is an importance to a lighter side of it, you know, a, 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 a break from that. Well, you know, okay, let's take John Bonham, regarded as the greatest rock and roll drummer of all time by many. And everybody sees Bonham and watches him and they are influenced by him. And I hear all these drummers and they're just beating their drums. You know, you got to beat the drums like Bonham. Have you ever heard an isolated drum track by John Bonham? There is so much finesse. He is beating his drums, but he is doing it with such a sophistication and a delicate, it's delicate thunder. And you know, here are these guys thinking they're Bonham. Yeah, man, you got to put, you know, divots in your snare head to really play like Bonham. No, man, listen to this guy. And you can hear the New Orleans influence and all this in his playing. And um, so, yeah, they, you know, they're only get, capturing half of that, half of that equation, um, which is the, the power. But, but there's such a finesse behind it, too. I think of that isolated drum track that I've heard, Fool in the Rain. Yeah. Where, I mean, he's doing so many different things. And the funny thing to bring up my son again, I was playing it for him. He's like, Dad, this is just a loop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, That's no loop. They didn't have loops back then. That's him yeah. nailing it for four and a half minutes, five minutes, however long it is, and doing it. He's not just putting down one part and just having it loop back and forth. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and their music did breathe. And, um, you know, one of the great revelations was hearing a whole lot of love isolated drum track. And, you know, in the guitar solo section, you know, I'm always thinking it's, you know, but Bob's going, do by the boom, do by the do. And it's like, oh, yeah, that, that, that's got way more swing and finesse and, um, than, than, you know, just strictly pounding. So, uh, yeah, man, the, the, the legends are the legends for, for, for good reason, you know. Um, and, and what we may perceive as happening when you get under the hood could be pretty, a lot, usually is a lot deeper than we think. The new album is High Voltage, the High Voltage Blues, the follow up to Peace, Love, and Loud Guitars. When you went into, you know, with an approach on this album, what did you want to accomplish with the sound, with the, you know, the organic creation of the songs? Um, our mission statement is I've got a blues soul and a rock and roll heart. And the idea was to take my love of Ozzy Osbourne and John Lee Hooker and find a place a lane that was our lane. It wasn't the blues lane. It wasn't the rock lane. It was our lane. And it wasn't like um, something that was artificially manufactured. Um, it was just two things that we really liked. We liked peanut butter and we liked chocolate. 
we made a peanut butter cup and that was what we wanted to do in that in that lane and um I, I wanted it to rock, but I, I also wanted it to have the soul that blues does. Um, and, and I wanted, I tried to have uh, music that was appreciated in a recorded fashion that had production value. Um, I totally get what you're saying about blues needs to be experienced live. And still my favorite artists, even rock artists, are, there's just something about them live, you know, but I, I was striving for that to the best of my ability to achieve that. How do you find that balance that you just said, you know, having the rock sound merge with that blues sound because you, you run the risk of overcompensating on one end to the other end, because you're trying to find that medium. How, how did you find that balance? Um, well, I guess it had to taste good. You know, you put too much peanut butter, it doesn't taste, you can't taste the, the chocolate in the peanut butter cup. I know I'm making this very simple, but um, I let my own love of music and my ears and my natural instincts dictate that. I, I think if I have made errors in the past is that I would intellectualize that question too much and say, is the guitar too heavy here? Is it no longer blues? Has it really gone into the rock world? Um, where this time I've said, I am who I am. I love what I love. I've synthesized all these things and I'm just going to perform them in a natural way. And, and this album has been the, probably one of the best received albums we've ever done, if not the best, because I think I've been more um, willing to be less analytical about it and, and more willing to just naturally let that happen and instead of saying, boy, is this too rock? Are the blues people not going to like this? You know, um, where I may have done that in the past. And now I'm like, well, um, if, if they don't like it, then maybe they don't like me, who I am, you know. Um, and, and I think that's very important for an artist to do is to be comfortable in your own skin. Um, and, uh, and especially in a world where everybody tries to put you in a prepackaged lane, um, you know, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was definitely, uh, something that we were more aware of this time. And yeah, so far it seems like it's, it, it's done well. And I think I'm going to continue on that journey. Like, uh, you know, I, I have no problems singing an Otis Redding inspired vocal line next to a DL line, you know, uh, um, an ad lib, you know, like you always goes, look out, you know, or something. And I don't mind doing a look out next to a, you know, Otis Redding or a Wilson Pickett falsetto thing, you know, like whatever. I love them both. And, and, um, and, and I'm going to try to put what belongs in the right way with the tools that I have at my disposal. Was it more about approach and phrasing or more about tone when you were kind of searching for that balance? Um, the balance to me was I was trying to take the spirit of blues. And you being in Chicago will know what I'm talking about. When you go see blues, here's the only way I can describe it offhand. You feel this. Mm. 
uh, there's a there's a visceral, there's a gut feeling. Uh, there's a pain. There's a pain. There's a pain. There's a pain, and there's a, it's like it, it it's hitting you. Okay, uh, you see, buddy guy, you you, you just feel that uh, that thing. Okay, I don't know how to describe it other than that. I wanted to take that, but not make it sound old timey like. Some shuffles to me today can sound old-timey or a slow blues. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I love that. But I tried to take that uh, and then do a riff that captured that feel. And to me, that pain or that whatever guttural thing is, that feeling, is what blues is. And I just tried to incorporate a little bit of high voltage, if you will, or, or rock tone or uh, approaching a riff. That was a little bit, I hesitate to say modern sounding, but the way that I would take it instead of playing a traditional walking bass line or something. Um, and, and that was kind of the, the, feel, the idea of like, and, and that thing, you know, I have a, a, a blues soul and a rock and roll heart. That soul is that feeling and the rock and roll heart is the freedom of cranking it up. You know, when you get the hair standing back in your neck. From, from the guitar amp and you're feeling that power coming behind you. That those are the feelings, you know, and, and I wish I could articulate better in words what I was trying to achieve. And I'm sure maybe if I thought a bit more about it, I'm sure tomorrow I'll be driving somewhere and I'll be like, damn, I should have sent this to Jay. I just, I sounded like an idiot, but that's the only way I can explain it right now, right here is the feeling of this blues, this guttural thing. And this power that rock and roll gives you and this freedom and this explosive thing um, together. Was it a song that you wrote that kind of inspired this path to this album? Was it something that you had been thinking about for a while? You know, where was the motivation to to create this this album? Um I don't know if there was any one moment, you know, we have a song called Painted Horse and that riff to me. So being a student of music and a lover of music, I noticed that there's a, a place where you can listen to Hank Williams Jr. And he's almost playing what Muddy Waters is playing. And he's almost playing what Jimi Hendrix is playing. You know, there's slightly different inflections in the grooves, but you can hear a, a Hank Williams Jr. going ba da ba da. You can hear that in Muddy Waters. You can hear Hendrix making odes to that. You know, um, and I thought, wow, this is really a, a ground zero of music, and everybody's just taken it from this spot and gone here, gone there. So, Painted Horse to me is very much inspired by, um, you know, you hear Buddy Guy talking, and he's like, "Yeah, Voodoo Child" by Hendrix. That's a John Lee Hooker that came from, you know, this sort of groove and. So I tried to take a groove that was one part Hendrix, one part John Lee Hooker, one part Hank Williams Jr. And the song is really about musical unity. And and I tried to say, hey, man, we're, we're all in this together. We're all coming from the same place. And, uh, you know, there's a line in the song, feel the power of my soul sonic force as I ride into town on my painted horse. And the painted horse is a metaphor for all this tapestry of all these different music influences coming in together, but they're all doing the same thing, um, coupled with this blues rock, high voltage blues combination. So that was really a, 
an example of, of what we were trying to achieve, I think, um, and, a, and a conscious realization. You know, I, I think that for me, it was less of an academic experience and more of a uh, an emotional journey in trying to find the stuff. And then later on, maybe analyzing it from intellectual point of view as opposed to uh, coming in straight off with a, an idea that was based on a, a principle formed from creative thinking. And this is more of like, a, what am I feeling? And, and why am I feeling this? And why is this working? And why is this not working? And doing that emotionally and then reevaluating it later. Is there a process for you when you're doing something like this to quote unquote, work it out to become the player you need to be for this project that you're doing for this type of album that you're doing? Well, you know, I think there are two kinds of guitar players. There's technical players and there's field players. Um, and they're two sides of the same coin. Um, I'm a field player, so I have to work on my technique, you know, and I know there's technical players out there that they work on their field. They work on, you know, um, and, and I think it's very important to, you know, guitar players are so horrible to each other. <laughs> and, you know, if you're a field player and there's a guy playing this great technical run, you're like, oh, yeah, but he's got no feel. Or, you know, they'll be like, yeah, the guy's got no technique, you know, or the gal, you know, lady's got no technique. So um, I, I think it's important to realize who you are and use your strengths and weaknesses to your advantage, whatever your weakness may be. Um, and, and my weaknesses is I'm not as great a technical player as many others out there. So I work on that, and I get to the best I can be. And then I realize that, well, there's certain things I just can't do as well as other people. So I'll mess it up in my own little way, and then I use that to create my sound as an artist, my weakness, I, I will empower it as my strength because it, it helps me become who I am. Because at the end of the day, we all can't be everything unless you're Eric Johnson. <laughs> but no, well, but, you know. Yeah, that's an interesting point because, you know, I, I believe what you say, you know, technical or feel. And I believe, as you mentioned, it's, it's you know, both sides of, or two sides of one coin because it's difficult to maintain a, your playing when you're a technical type of player. You know, when you're a Paul Gilbert or an Eric Johnson, you, you have a, a certain style, but it's based off technique and it's based off theory. And when you go to the feel side, you know, it's, it's what you're feeling that day and the way you hit the strings and how you bend and how long you sit on a note. It's all, on emotion it's very it's more connected to the blues than i would say a technical player is right yes so but they're both equally as challenging and and, and like you said you know guitar players are terrible to each other i think a lot of times it's lost on a guitar player that what they're doing is equally as challenging as what an, a guy at the opposite end is doing Yes. And, you know, I, I always bring up the point about ACDC, the ultimate feel band, right? Right. 
it's so difficult to write a song that sounds so simple. And in some cases, it's more difficult to write that song than it is to write this huge sweeping arrangement with this shredding and going up and down the fretboard, right? Because if it was so simple, it was if it was so easy, I should say, that, that simple play would be made over and over and, and be successful over and over again. So, you know, when you hear basically ACDC is, is three chords and a set of balls. Yes. Is what it is. And, but it's never been able to be duplicated and it's yeah. duplicated in a sense where people can sound like them, but it's never duplicated with, I should say a unique sound. Yes. And the passion in which they deliver it and the originality. Um, absolutely. And, and you, you were sniffing around this point in your choice of words that I thought was really interesting. Just because something is simple doesn't mean that it's easy. Um, it's simple to have a song with three chords harmonically, but it's not easy. And I went to see a great guitar player play. I'm not going to mention a name. And they were awesome. And they were playing all this stuff. And it's like, oh, God. And then they played the riff to Back in Black. And it was the biggest moment of the night. And everybody was like, I mean, it was explosive. And um, so, you know, there's something to be said for that. And, you know, on the two sides of the coin, when I see or hear a player that's a technical player, it's like wizardry. It's so inspiring to hear and witness this. It's like an amazing magician. It's a card trick. How did they do that? Paul Gilbert, where are you hiding your other hand? You know, you have three three arms, three hands. How did you do this? Like, what? And, and that moves me in, in a way of being awe-inspiring. When I hear David Gilmore from Pink Floyd play the perfect economic lead, um, or Jeff Beck playing some mind-bending thing, I am moved, and it's an outer-worldly experience. It's an emotional thing. And um, both are equally exciting, and, and but different things. And thank God we have different players that we're able to uh, to experience that, you know. And and um, and I, I love the point that you said, you know, that what you do naturally as a player, you, you know, it's like tall people want to be short, and short people want to be tall, you know. Uh, you know, well, I'd, I'd really love to be much more technically inclined, but I'm sure there's a technical player. Uh, that we'd love to, you know, that that's just such a natural thing. What? That this? Oh, you, you know, you practice this for eight hours and you're still sloppy at it? Oh, how, how could that be? But I, how do you do that? You know, what? This? You know, so um, it's a really cool thing. And, and I think it keeps us inspired. And, then, and that's a great thing. Staying inspired as an artist is such an important thing. That's the beauty of guitar, right? Because... On the simple, the base, the simple basics of guitar, or the simple defining legacy of guitar, is it's a limited instrument. It only has a certain amount of notes. It only has, you know, it's it's it is what it is. But the player determines where that guitar goes, where that 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 limitation, or how they break that limitation, right? And just itself. When you look at it, it's a limited instrument, but who's behind it, who's playing it, that's how the limitations are broken. And that's yeah. what makes that instrument so unique. 
Yeah, and and you know, you think of it, we're basically playing the same guitars, the same tones, uh, and everybody sounds so different. You know, um, even this great producer, Michael Wagner, he, he did a bunch of great 80s albums, and he's like, I use the same preset in the same amp preamp on every record I did, and the guitar tones are vastly different on every album. How was that? It's the, it was the people playing the instruments. You know. I think about that uh, that Ted Nugent quote where he was playing a festival with Van Halen around the same bill with Van Halen, and he went to talk to Eddie, and he wanted to play Eddie's guitar, and he started playing it. He's like, "How come I don't sound like you?" Right. And Eddie's like, "Because you're not me. You're you." Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that's such a great gift. You know, um, you know, it's like we always look outward. You know, what, what pedals, what gear, what this, you know, you know, what's Sally doing on the guitar? What's Bobby doing? What, you know, and a lot of times it's like, Hey man, change the direction and here you got what you need and, and just, um, try not to suck. That's my motto. You know, try <laughs> go out there and try not to suck boys. You know, so, uh, there you go. So what's next for you with this album? Are you going to be touring? Are you, where are you going to be playing out? Yeah, you know, for the rest of the year, we have, um, we're like weekend warriors, but in the new year, I think we're going to be touring more extensively. Um, luckily for us, we're playing in larger rooms and growing. And I think this album is going to be a real workhorse um, to one that we're working on now, a follow-up to it. it should probably be out in a year or so. Um, and uh, wash, rinse, repeat, <laughs> you know make a record tour behind it, go out there. And, and we're just so grateful that uh, people want to hear our music and, and, um, and, and that's so empowering and inspiring. So, uh, yeah, it's really cool. Well, hey, man, it's been a blast talking with you. It's been a blast getting to know you over this uh, past 30-plus uh, minutes here. Uh, big fan of the album and, uh, you know, continued success with it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It is a little bit of a different approach for you, which I really enjoyed. And uh, for those listening, the new album is High Voltage Blues, and you can find it on anthonygomes.com. You can order it there. You can get it on all streaming services. Go check it out if you haven't. And if you like rock guitar, if you like blues guitar, you uh, you will enjoy it. Thank you so much, Jay, for your time and for all your listeners and and viewers out there, thank you so much for tuning in. Anthony, it's been a blast. I'm Jay Scott. This has been another episode of The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Stay safe. Take care of each other. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Living in trouble times, things are getting heavy.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.